Free agency is just one month away. Which players in the NFC South may the Seahawks have interest in? Find out as Nick Lee and I break them down in our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, my co-host Nick Lee. It's our weekly Free Agency Friday. We're going to be diving into the NFC South today, looking at all four teams and which players may pique the Seahawks' interest heading into free agency, which is set to open on March 16th. We're also going to be previewing free agency for Gerald Everett. One season in Seattle, did he do enough to earn a second contract with the Seahawks? We'll be discussing and debating. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. One of the big question marks revolving around the Seahawks' recent defensive coordinator search revolved around Coach Pete Carroll and how much autonomy he gives to his coordinators. There's been a narrative that's kind of picked up steam as the years have gone by that this is Pete Carroll's defense. He's the one that's pulling all the strings, calling all the shots behind the curtain, and that whoever the defensive coordinator is just has that name by title and doesn't really carry that much power on the coaching staff. But new defensive coordinator Clint Hurt put a little bit of water on the fire today on ESPN 710 saying that he has full autonomy, that Pete Carroll has given him full autonomy for running his defense. He considers Pete Carroll to be a resource, which obviously that should be the case. Pete Carroll is one of the best defensive minds in the NFL and has been for a long time. Hurt's going to lean on him as a first-time defensive coordinator, but at the same time, He's been given the go-ahead. This is going to be your defense. It is not going to be the defense that we've seen the last 11 or 12 years. And that should be refreshing to fans who have been wanting to see changes on the field. And that's part of the, the deal being head coach is, is, you know, any leader of a company of, you know, in school or whatever, delegation is an impart, important part of leadership. And the, the fact that's, that this is suggesting that Pete Carroll, he's, a, I think he's a fantastic head coach, borderline, probably Hall of Fame head coach. And as such, he should be able to delegate part of his, part of his, you know, responsibilities on defense to a defensive coordinator so he can be a head coach. The head coach is a full-time gig. You see guys that try to do head coach plus coordinator stuff. And sometimes that, that usually doesn't work out. So that usually is, is just too much. So, um, the, the ability to delegate is a skill. And I, I think that's something that perhaps Pete Carroll is developing. And I'm going to go ahead and eat a little crow too, because I was one that was spreading that narrative that if they did opt for Clint Hurt, and again, that was nothing, absolutely nothing uh, of, of a slight on Clint Hurt as a coach, as an, as an ability to be a defensive coordinator. Just the fact that it was an in-house hire concerned me that perhaps not, not the, the necessary changes weren't going to be made. I'm, I'm eating crow after that press conference. Uh, I'm changing my tune. Clinton Hurt did a great job or after that, that interview. I, he really put me at ease with some of the stuff he said. Um, full autonomy, that's a, that's a pretty bold statement. I mean, he could have said, you know, yeah, I have a lot of control or he's given me a lot of you know, leeway. No, he said full autonomy. That's a, that's a pretty big statement. 
And he went into some details that, that really excited me. And that for the first time in a long time, I have some hope that there might be some significant changes on defense, some necessary changes. And obviously, you know, some big stuff is going to have to go through Pete Carroll and, and kind of, you know, I'm sure they're bouncing ideas off of each other. And, and Pete Carroll might have final say in a few things, which as a head coach, you probably should. But I, the, the, the full autonomy uh, saying brings me a lot of hope. And, and I, I just going through some of the other stuff you said, something that also stuck out to me, Corbin, is I, I tried to get the full quote here, full, full interview. He said the word aggressiveness six different times. And that also stuck out to me. So we're talking, he has full autonomy and he wants to be aggressive. You know, this is, this could be the dawn of, of a different era of Seahawks defense. Yeah. And that's just piggybacking off of a lot of the things that he said in his introductory press conference on Wednesday with beat reporters. And I was in on that call and he made it clear that that was going to be one stark difference. This defense is going to be much more aggressive. We're not going to be dropping defensive linemen near as frequently back in coverage, which really excited people like me. And again, I think there are times, there's times and places for doing that. There are times we saw the Bengals do it in their win against the Chiefs in the playoffs. There are ways that you can successfully drop back linemen into coverage and mix in your zone blitzes. But it felt like the Seahawks got too reliant on that last year, especially as a team that struggled to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They just didn't send five enough, in my opinion, with the personnel they have. And that goes back to really, this was the argument that I've been making for the last couple of days, What stood out to me more than anything. Yeah, we can talk about there being some 3-4 structure. Vic Fangio's defense meshing with Pete Carroll's and, and trying to create a unique defense that is a lot different than the last 11 or 12 years. But more than anything, maximizing your personnel. That seems to be the biggest thing that Clint Hurt is going to be emphasizing, that Pete Carroll is going to be emphasizing. We have to put our players in the best position to be successful. Some of that has to do with the coaching staff. That's why Sean Desai has come into town. That's why Carl Scott has come into town. And they brought guys from the outside. They're going to bring different ideas, coached in different environments and different schemes, and really know how to instruct players. Clint Hurd is hoping having Desai and Scott on his staff is going to allow him at all three levels to be able to maximize on the skill sets of his personnel. And he believes that they've got a lot of the pieces in place. They need to add some talent. You went seven and 10 last year. They need to make some changes. But at the same time, Quandre Diggs and DJ Reed were two players that he pointed out and called out by name saying, we need to re-sign those players today on ESPN 710. So he believes a lot of the personnel that they have is already what they need to be successful with the scheme that they are going to be deploying this next year, the new coaching staff that they have, but they have to do a better job of utilizing their players. We saw that with Dunlap dropping back a bunch last year. Jamal Adams not blitzing very often. They need to get back to doing what these players do best. And so to me, that has been the most glowing thing that Clint Hurd has said among a number of things that are positives the past couple of days. That's what I'm most excited about because I thought the talent is there. Now you have to be able to coach these guys up and put them in the best spot they can succeed with their strengths versus their weaknesses. Yeah, and I'll go even a step further. I know that you know, the saying goes, you know, potential gets coaches fired or, and you could say talent alone maybe does that too but if you just lit if you looked at all the defensive defenses around the nfl and maybe you brought back the the, the pending free agents for the seahawks the Quandre Diggs and dj reed 
and you looked at just strictly talent, not not production, not anything, you got to put the Seahawks in like the top seven in the NFL as far as talent goes. In my opinion, you got Bobby Wagner, Jamal Adams, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Quandre Diggs, and uh, you know, Daryl Taylor, I think, is really talented in getting up there. Jordan Brooks. I mean, you have so much talent and that it's it's it is inexcusable how they've produced. And so if you can if you can get production mirroring the, the talent, this is I, I completely agree with the statement that you could probably bring back a similar defense as far as personnel, maybe not make a crazy splash higher on defense. And as long as you maximize the talent and potential you have on the roster already, that's a huge turnaround on this defense that you could flip it to a, an easily a top half defense, maybe even a top 10 defense just on strictly turning that talent and, and use, utilizing that talent to the best. And of course the elephant in the room there is Jamal Adams. If, if Clint Hurt and Sean Desai and company can, can bring a 20, the 2020 version of Jamal Adams and maybe bring a bit more of a versatility that they were trying to go for in 2021 and get those two things synced up, boy, he, that's another Pro Bowl season for him. Yeah, that's really going to be the measuring stick here. And I've been saying it the last couple of days. I, I think Clint Hurt, based on what he's been saying, he knows this. His success or his failure in this position is going to boil down to not necessarily the scheme. Scheme's part of it, but it's going to boil down to can you get the best out of the players that you have on the roster? Because Seattle has made significant investments at all three levels, and they need to make more. They need to go out and get some other players, especially pass rushers. They need to add to the roster, but they've got pieces already in place for this to be a very good defense if this group is coached correctly and players are deployed at their best positions, the best chance for them to thrive. And so that's going to be an exciting thing to watch as we – get into the 2022 season and see what Clint Hurd is able to do with this group with the new assistance that he has on board. Last offseason, the Seahawks signed Gerald Everett to a one-year deal, linking him up with new coordinator Shane Waldron, believing he would give them a upgrade as the number three receiver behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Did he do enough to justify another contract? Nick and I are going to be breaking that down here in a moment in our latest free agent primer. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, betonline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC, hopefully baseball, Olympic coverage, and much more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Nick Lee. Tons of free agency talk today. We're going to start continuing our free agent primers here. Gerald Everett was one of the bigger additions the Seahawks made last offseason in free agency. A young tight end, an athletic tight end, that had flashed top five talent with the Rams, never statistically was able to show that as the number two guy behind Tyler Higbee. But he flashed, had some big games against the Seahawks and several other teams in the NFC West, showed his ability to stretch the field and break tackles. They thought he was going to give them a major boost as the number three receiver, the complimentary weapon they've desperately needed that can create after the catch along with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And I think you can make an argument to an extent he was able to do that, maybe not meeting the high expectations that many of us had when he signed a one-year contract last March, but 
he did improve their ability to create after the catch. One of the top 10 tight ends in the league at creating yards after the catch per pro football focus. And he also was able to stretch the field some, had some big plays vertically. So he did do those things, maybe not as consistently as they wanted, but he did finish third on the team in receptions and receiving yards. So it feels like statistically, maybe he didn't do what you were hoping for, but at the same time, he still had a solid season amid some difficult circumstances. Yeah, I'm a baseball guy, so I love statistics and a very sad baseball guy right now. I'll just say that. Um, but it's just strictly looking at numbers. I don't know what people were expecting. I know we had high expectations for him just because he was syncing up with Shane Waldron again. But I mean, were people wanting like Travis Kelsey numbers? Like, I'm not quite sure why that there's this there was these huge expectations because he, he set career highs in yards, touchdowns. Uh, I believe receptions and also catch rate yards per target. I mean, he set career highs and all these things. Cause he, he got, he finally got a more prominent role. So maybe you'd expect that a little bit, but I mean, it's not like he completely fell off the face of the earth and, and was completely just meaningless. He, he did have some, some, can, some contributions and I, I broke his season up into the first 11 games of his season and the last four and the first 11 games of the year, he averaged 26 yards a game and 6.4 yards per target. And then in the last four games of the year, that goes up to 46 yards per game and over 10 yards per target. So clearly at the end of the year, maybe he finally started getting his sea legs a little bit um, with Russell Wilson being more healthy and having a full season in that, in that, in the city and the offense. I mean, obviously he's been in the offense before, but just in his new situation. And I think that really helps. So it, this could be a, an example of maybe you give him another year and that comfort zone reaches a new level. Yeah, that's my big argument for why the Seahawks should be bringing Gerald Everett back. You saw, again, flash has been the word in Gerald Everett's career as a former second-round pick. He flashed a lot with the Rams, but he had Tyler Higby in front of him. There were weapons on the outside, like Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. So he, there weren't a lot of opportunities at times for him to be a playmaker in the passing game. So the idea was, if he's the number one tight end in Seattle – He's going to get a lot more targets. And we saw that in some games. I think you can't downplay the impact Russell Wilson's injury had on Gerald Everett's production and the fact Everett missed two games with COVID-19 as well. That certainly impacted his numbers, and that stunted his development with trying to get in sync with the new quarterback. But as you mentioned, late in the season, there were a few rough games. That game in Week 13, let's just turn the page. That was the worst game of his career. He's not going to have a game like that ever again where he fumbles twice and drops a touchdown that ends up getting intercepted. That's not going to happen to him. This guy's too talented. He works too hard. That's not going to happen. That was an anomaly. The touchdown that he dropped in the final game, yeah, that was a big deal in the scheme of things, but it didn't cost the team the game. Overall, I thought that he was able to provide a lot of the things that Seattle wanted him to, particularly, as I mentioned, the ability to break tackles and create yardage after the catch. That was a big deal getting that kind of a player in on this offense when they had been in the bottom half of the league for the last three years and yards after the catch, that's a nice dynamic to add to your offense. And it felt like Russell Wilson was able to really develop that rapport with him late in the year as he got healthier. They had more experience playing together. You really had like a six or seven week stretch where they weren't able to do much. Wilson was either out or he was playing and was not near 100%. And in a couple of those games, he did get the ball to Jared Everett a lot. Everett had a big game against the Packers, even though the Seahawks scored zero points. So 
I think when you look at his season holistically, I thought he could get 60 receptions, 600 yards, maybe six or seven touchdowns, especially with an extra game added. But he missed two games being sick. You had your quarterback out for three games, and he wasn't himself for several games. There were too many setbacks to expect that those numbers were going to be there. So I think overall the numbers were pretty solid. To me, if there's a reason he could be gone, it's probably just because there's a lot of other really good tight ends hitting the free agent market, and this is a really good draft class of the position as well. So maybe Seattle will find another option they prefer. But otherwise, I mean, I thought Gerald Everett fit in well with his offense given circumstances and would be excited to see what he could do in another full season in Waldron's offense catching passes from Russell Wilson. And frankly, I've kind of lost hope. And I don't know if it's Russell Wilson or, or just the Pete Carroll era, but I've lost hope that the Seahawks can truly turn any tight end to, you know, a thousand yard all pro. I, I just don't think that's in their DNA. I know mean, we wanted that with Jimmy Graham and we thought maybe we had something special with Will Disley before some devastating injuries. And, and, uh, and just, it seems like every time we have this conversation, like, Oh, this, you know, this is going to use this tight end. He's going to be all pro. And, and it just never works out for one reason or another. And so maybe having reasonable expectations, you know, he's not, he's not been, had consistent playing time. And you mentioned all the, the struggles he's had in the last year. Um, so a lot of it to not to his own fault. And, and we forget, you know, if he had COVID and when he had COVID now that could have lingering issues, not just from, you know, not just Russell Wilson's health, but his own health. I mean, who knows how hundred percent he was for a few games after he came back. And, um, and you mentioned in the article that his, has some solid blocking grades as well. So not just the production, in the past game, but he had, he had some pretty respectable uh, numbers in the blocking game. And we, we all know the Seahawks expect their tight ends to get their noses and their hands dirty a little bit. And it seemed like Gerald Everett for the most part was a willing participant in that. So um, I think I agree. The only reason why you don't bring him back is maybe there's a better option out there and, and it is a very saturated tight end market. Yeah, but that actually might help, you know, as a positive to bring back Everett because his cost might be way down. I mean, he just signed a one-year deal that was around $6 million. You might be able to get him to come back on a one-year deal a little bit cheaper just because there are so many other good tight ends that are going to be available. And I, I don't think you can discount the fact that it's a really good draft class too. I've been really impressed looking at some of the tape, watching senior bowl practices. There are some really good tight ends that are going to be entering the NFL in this class. And so there's going to be a saturation from both free agency and the draft. A guy like Gerald Everett that's a very good player that has a lot of upside still that, you know, untapped potential. That kind of player, though, is probably going to be pretty affordable because of how many players are out there at the position that will be available in free agency in the draft. And so for that reason, I fully anticipate that Gerald Everett will be coming back. I've got him coming back on a one-year, around $5 million contract, and probably most of it fully guaranteed. Shane Waldron wants him here. I think Russell Wilson wants him here. They want to see what they can do after the strong finish together to last season. I still think that this guy can be that third weapon behind Metcalf and Lockett that can be a 600, 700-yard guy and score seven, eight touchdowns and be more of a red zone weapon. Again, we saw flashes of it last year. You'd like to see him really put it together, a healthy Russell Wilson for 17 games. I think that he would have a very good chance to do that. So I think he's coming back on a one-year deal. I'd be surprised if the Seahawks go a different direction at tight end. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I just I, I like the the momentum they built to the end of last year. And I think if all else is equal, if they have a few options they like in, in free agency, maybe even the draft, if all else is equal, you got a guy who's who's got a year in the system and a year with Russell Wilson, and that, that should be the tiebreaker. So 
Um, I just like where they ended things, and I'm hoping that he could build on that if they bring him back for another year. Yeah, this seems like something. This seems like a situation where continuity would be a nice thing because they have had a lot of turnover at tight end over the last three or four years, and they've had guys in and out with injury. So you'd like to be able to keep the same guys around and continue to build that chemistry with Russell Wilson, particularly with your weapons that you have on the outside. There should be a lot of opportunities against good against good draws and coverage, ideal matchups for players like Gerald Everett to be able to make big plays. And we saw that at times last year. So again, I, I will be surprised with his connection with Shane Waldron, the building report with Russell Wilson, if Gerald Everett is not back, but Given how good this free agent group is, the draft class, I suppose there could be a surprise or two at tight end going into the new season. We're going to continue talking free agency here on Blue Friday, looking at the four teams in the NFC South, which pending free agents may pique the interest of the Seahawks heading towards the start of the new league year on March 16th. Nick and I will be breaking down which players on each team that we think the Seahawks could target when the new league year begins. This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right, thanks to Built Bar. Have you tried the new Built Bar Puffs? If you haven't, I'm telling you, you are missing out. It is one of the best tasting Built Bars out there. It's my go-to snack before lifting weights and running. It's a protein-infused marshmallow. It's really a marshmallow on steroids, not literally with steroids, but they're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. And it's not just a protein bar. They're a true treat. 100% real chocolate. All built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, including Puffs. Low calorie, high protein. Most built Bars have 130 calories and just 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Regular built Bars have delicious flavors as well. Coconut, coconut almond. And this month, for a limited time, white chocolate cookies and cream. Absolutely delicious. If they think a flavor might be good, they're going to make it. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. You're listening to the Locked on Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, Nick Lee. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's free agency Friday. We kicked this series off a few weeks ago, looking division by division at players that may interest the Seahawks heading towards the beginning of the new league year. Free agency will start on March 16th. The legal tampering period is on March 14th. Teams can start talking to free agents, and then signings can become official two days later. Let's look at the NFC South, starting with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Had another playoff visit this season, got ousted in the divisional round by the eventual champions, the Rams, took home the Lombardi the year before. It's a huge offseason in Tampa Bay because Tom Brady just announced his retirement a few weeks ago. So there's going to be some major changes happening down in the Bay Area. They might be letting a few big-name players go as well because they are dealing with a cap crunch right now. So looking at their pending free agents, Nick, who's a player that jumps out to you as one that may interest the Seahawks next month? Well, not, you know, pardon the pun, but the Bucks have, you know, uh, just a treasure chest full of booty there down there for, for free agents. Um, and one who has a big one is uh, Ndamukong Su. <laughs> um, Ndamukong Su is, uh, is uh, I know he's, he's a bit of a polarizing figure. Um, just, you know, he, he's a hothead and he's done some things, some questionable things. And if you search my Twitter from years ago, you can see um, there's some times where he's done stuff I have not appreciated. But 
That being said, I think the Seahawks, we were talking before the show, and I think the Seahawks have a respectable and quality history of bringing in an aging, you know, maybe past his peak defensive lineman, interior defensive lineman, and getting production. Exhibit A, Al Woods. Now, I know Al Woods and Ndamukong Kingsu are different species of defensive linemen, but I just think you got this kid, this guy's a borderline future Hall of Famer. And he's got a, he's still got a ton of juice. I mean, six sacks, 19 pressures, 13 quarterback hits last year. Um, still very, very much a productive interior lineman. You bring him in with some of the other things that you can do on defense and especially with some fresh eyes on in the coaching staff. Uh, I think that's a huge hit. Um, he, it can be a huge hit. And especially with him being a, a Pacific Northwest guy, he's from Portland, Oregon. And, you know, I, he might be towards the end of his career. And if I were him, if I were anybody, you know, I would want it if I've bounced all over the place, you know, Detroit's and Miami and, and, and now Tampa Bay, I would want to head home and head closer to home as my career um, goes into the sunset. So with the juice he's got, his connections to the Pacific Northwest, I, I think that this is a pretty good time to get Indomitian Sioux at a, at a decent price and, uh, and, and still with some, some quality production that you can add to the rest of your pieces on the defensive front. I feel like every offseason we talk about Ndamukong Sue because he's been signing one-year contracts since, like, his fourth year in the league, it feels like. So we're always kind of looking at him as a possibility, and I think he would be a good fit. Still has plenty of juice. I'm going to flip to the offensive line for my pick, and we've talked about Ryan Jensen a fair amount already in the show because center has been a pressing need for a number of seasons. It still is one of the biggest needs in this roster. I thought Ethan Posick played a lot better towards the end of this past season. I just don't know that I view him as a long-term guy, though. I think you've got to find an upgrade. Jensen is going to be 31 years old, so he's a little older player, but he had one of his best seasons last year, finally got to the Pro Bowl. This is a guy that I thought should have been a Pro Bowler a couple other seasons in Tampa Bay. He's been really good for several years running, and he's been one of the best run blockers, according to Pro Football Focus, for the past four years. 321 pounds. It's a physical guy, plays with a mean streak. That's the kind of a mentality Seattle needs to add to that center position. And he's from Colorado State Pueblo, which is where my fiance graduated from. So he's got that going for him as well. I just think that he would be a really nice fit from a skill set perspective and experience perspective, a Pro Bowl center. You add that to the middle of your offensive line. I think it makes the entire rest of the group that much better. Let's go to the New Orleans Saints now. Just narrowly missed the playoffs despite all the injuries they had last year, including losing their starting quarterback, Jameis Winston, to a season-ending ACL injury. They were down to like their fifth-string quarterback for one of their games. It was a messy year, but they still almost got to the playoffs. They've got some big names heading towards free agency. They can restructure a number of contracts to open up cap space, but they don't have a lot of spending power to bring back all these players Who's a guy that jumps off of the list from New Orleans free agency that you think would be a good fit for the Seahawks? Well, I tweeted about him earlier today. Um, he, he's a guy that's uh, the, the acronym V-A-A-H is versatile as all heck. And that is PJ Williams. <laughs> um, I, I like PK. I love versatility. And like I said, I'm a baseball guy and versatility is the name of the game. If you can get a guy that can play center field, third base, you know, like a Chris Bryant, you can just plug him anywhere and, and he'll succeed. That That is such a value. Or Shohei Otani. <laughs> and that is such a, a valuable, valuable weapon to have on, on your defense. And I know the Seahawks already have uh, a few guys like that, especially in the defensive backfield like Jamal Adams. And and if you bring back Quandre Diggs, and if you can somehow bring back Quandre Diggs 
and get PJ Williams. Holy cow. I think the whole just dynamic of the defense changes. I mean, just, just to look at a few things he's, he's, he's played corner. He's played slot corner, nickel, dime, strong safety, free safety. Um, just the, the coaches for the Saint in New Orleans were, were so complimentary of what he's been able to do. Um, I, I think if all else, he could be an excellent slot corner. I know he'd be a pretty pricey slot corner, but just, just some of the stuff he's been able to do, you could put him all over the field. Um, sneaky, good free agent is in my opinion, three interceptions last year, two sacks. And I think the biggest thing for me is he allowed a 60.7 passer rating and 39 targets. That's, that's eighth best in the NFL among qualified uh, defensive players. So I think he's an excellent pass in pass coverage, which boy, that certainly couldn't hurt like the worst pass coverage defense in the league, <laughs> bringing in a guy like that. Um, and he's, he's probably one of my biggest free agency man crushes. I know you have draft man crushes. I have, I, I sometimes have free agent man crushes. And right now PJ Williams is one of those guys. And if you look at some, some of the tape of last year, just a willing tackler. He's all over the place. He had that pick six to seal the seal one of the wins for the Saints against uh, Tom, Tom Brady and the Bucks. Just he just knows how to be around the football and just make plays. And sometimes that's something you can't teach, you can't coach. And he's just one of those guys that makes plays. And just with the versatility and how well he does multiple things, I think he'd be an excellent weapon to bring on. And I know the price tag might be a question, but he he would be someone I would take a long hard look at. Yeah, I'm going to go with another Williams that is on the Saints that plays in the secondary. And this is a hedge because anybody that listens to this show knows where I stand on Quandre Diggs. I think Quandre Diggs should be the number one priority for the Seahawks to re-sign among all of their impending free agents. But you have to have a backup plan in case Diggs gets an offer from another team that is just too expensive for your liking and you let him go. If that happens, I think Marcus Williams could be an option for them. Significantly younger in his mid-20s. Obviously, he's best known for the mishap in the Minnesota Miracle during his rookie season. It's unfortunate that that's what he's been known for, though, because this guy's a really good football player. Last year had a grade of 84 in coverage, an elite grade from Pro Football Focus. Only had a couple picks last year, but he has 15 interceptions, almost 40 passes defensed in five NFL seasons. This guy will come up and he'll hit you. He's got good size, 6'1", around 200 pounds. So this guy is a very versatile free safety. And I think when you're looking at what Clint Hurts' defense is going to look like, most likely mixing in more two-deep coverages and seeing a Vic Fangio-style defense blended with what Pete Carroll likes to do, I think having two safeties that you can move all over the place is going to be critical. Quandre Diggs can do that. But I also think Marcus Williams can, and he doesn't have the two Pro Bowls on his resume. That could end up making him a cheaper option, even though he's the younger player. Quandre Diggs has more picks the last few years as well. Those are the things that give you money in free agency. So if they don't get Quandre Diggs back, Marcus Williams is a player that I think brings the complete package. You still have a ball hawking safety, maybe not to the level that Quandre Diggs is, but he's a very good ball hawking safety, one of the better ones out there and he's got room to continue to grow at the age of 25 going on 26 he is in the prime of his career now switching gears to the carolina panthers the panthers started 3 and 0 3 and 0 last year and it looked like wow this might be your surprise team and then i think they maybe won two games the entire rest of the season and everything fell apart their quarterback play unraveled sam darnold returned to who we thought he was after looking like Superman the first three weeks of the season. So Carolina's kind of still in the middle of a long rebuild. 
And Matt Rule, he could be coaching for his job here this season. They've got some fairly decent players set to hit the market as well. Got to wonder which one of those players might try to head for greener pastures. Yeah, I was I was kind of thinking along the same lines as you for Ryan Jensen from the, from Tampa Bay. Really like him. Uh, Matt Paradis, the center, uh, is my pick. And just I've been pounding. This is my second year now. I've been pounding the table that the Seahawks need to upgrade at center. I'm, I'm not I'm not making any comparisons, but I played center in high school, and I've seen firsthand how important it is to have a good center. I wasn't one of them. Um, but I, I've just seen how important that role is on, on the on offensive line. And if you have a guy that not only can just be serviceable, but really take a lead on the offensive line can make such a difference. And he's been, and, and Paradis was the center for the 2015 Broncos who beat said Panthers in the Super Bowl. And he's been a pretty solid presence ever since. And I know he, he tore his ACL, I believe mid season, um, but it might have trouble getting him fully healthy for preseason stuff. But I'd certainly take a flyer. He's obviously not going to be, you know, a perennial pro bowler at this point, um, but he's a Super Bowl winning center. Started for seven years for two different teams, for several coordinators. He's been steady and, and decently consistent, especially when the, the the futures of Ethan Posick and Kyle Fuller are up in the air anyway. You got you to gotta have a center. <laughs> and Matt Paradis certainly probably would be a, a cheaper uh, option than, than Ryan Jensen or, or another you know, top tier. He's not. He's not a top tier free agent center. Let's let's not kid ourselves. But he would be a solid presence and and probably an upgrade from from Ethan Posick. But um, just having a, a veteran guy like that bring him in and maybe draft a guy that he can compete with in camp. And and I think that's a pretty healthy uh, center room there. But so Matt Paradis, just the, the presence and and the consistency he's had over the years at center, I think would do, go a long way in stabilizing that offensive line. We've talked the need for pass rushers for weeks since the end of the season. The Seahawks were near the bottom of the league in sacks and pressure rate. Now, in the past, Hassan Reddick, the Seahawks have had an opportunity to sign him. He's been a free agent the last couple of years, and they didn't bring him in. And honestly, if we were having this discussion a year ago, in fact, I could probably go back and find a time where we've talked about Hassan Reddick last year in free agency because he had a breakout year for the Cardinals his last year in Arizona with double-digit sacks. At 235 pounds, I probably would have said not a good fit for the scheme that the Seahawks are running. But if they're going to be looking more like a Fangio 3-4 defense in that type of a structure, then I think suddenly a 235-pound Hassan Reddick is one of those overhang defenders makes a lot of sense. Suddenly that fit looks like a good one. Could you imagine him and Daryl Taylor as your two overhanging linebackers that are coming flying off the edge? I think that that would be a really good fit if you're going to be having him rush the passer. They didn't do that enough with Benson Mayoa and Daryl Taylor last year in those roles. And I think Clint Hurts made that clear that he wants those guys moving forward. So I would expect if they made that investment in this guy who had 11 and a half sacks last year, 40 plus pressures per pro football focus. And he also had a 70 overall run defense grade. So he is not a slouch defending the run. He can set the edge. Hassan Reddick could be a really good fit in this style of defense rather than the scheme that the Seahawks have ran for the last 11, 12 years. And he's only 27 years old. He had a one-year $6 million deal last year with another double-digit sack season. Maybe he commands a little bit more, but he's got that tweener build, that tweener position. Those guys don't tend to make a ton of money in free agency. If you can get a similar one- or two-year deal with Hassan Reddick at that price point, 
then I'm jumping for it given the scheme change, the potential scheme innovations that we are going to see with Clint Hurt as the coordinator. Now, last but not least, I guess in this case it is least because it is easily the worst free agent list we have to look at in this group. The Atlanta Falcons, they had a solid first season for Arthur Smith. They were in the playoff hunt until the last couple weeks of the year. But this is a roster that is still in the midst of a rebuild. They could have a quarterback change coming. Matt Ryan's nearing the end of the line. They just released a few players that they gave big contracts to. Not a lot of ideal free agent options on this list, with this being a team that's lacking talent for the most part. But Nick, who would be a guy on the Falcons list that maybe you look and say might be worth a flyer from the Seahawks perspective? And that's the key word here, flyer, for sure. How, how plentiful perhaps the Bucks list was. That's about how barren the Falcons were um, as far as free agency. I'm going to go, and we, we talked about Gerald Everett and how much we'd probably like him back in Seattle. If he doesn't, if, if for some reason the, the Seahawks are unable to bring Gerald Everett back, and I, I think that they will, but if they don't, a guy that could be a good hedge, a guy, a guy that is in addition to that saturated market we, we mentioned, is Hayden Hurst, the yeah. tight end. For the Falcons, I think he's he's a pretty fine tight end. He's he's and also you got you got to remember Will Disley also is out there. Um, so the, the Seahawks have some replenishing to do, and as far as bringing guys back to the fold um, on in the tight end room, and he's a season removed from a 500 plus six touchdown season. And what I like about him, he has four drops in four years. 181 targets over four years, four drops. Uh, he's got reliable hands, and especially in the red zone, you want a guy like that. I believe he's six four. Um, so pretty reliable target there. And obviously he's not going to blow you away with numbers. He, he's, he certainly had opportunities to become a, a, a top tier tight end in this league. And he's, he's a bit overshadowed by a guy named Kyle Pitts in, in, in Atlanta. Who's, who's pretty darn good. I don't know if anyone's heard of him, but, um, the, the Seahawks, we, we've, we've pounded the table all off season already about how they need to improve on third downs. Third downs is so critical for this team to improve on offense. And I think a way they can do that is if, if heaven forbid, they, they don't, bring Gerald Everett back a guy like Hayden Hurst who never drops the football is a pretty good direction to look on third down if all else fails yeah I looked at the Falcons free agent list and honestly I couldn't pick anyone off of that list that I was super excited about and then I thought about who was released a day ago Dante Fowler and he was a disappointment signed a mega deal with the Falcons two years ago had seven and a half sacks in 28 games. That is not what they paid for. They thought they were going to be getting a double-digit sack guy that would thrive at the time in Dan Quinn's defense, and it just never worked out. But this is a guy that still isn't 30 years old yet, still a young player. He's three years removed from 11 and a half sacks with the Rams. Wade Phillips was still the defensive coordinator back then, so he was playing in more of that 3-4 defense structure. So I'm wondering if Fowler, with the change of scenery, going to a defense that he has had success in, at least a similar style defense that he's had success in, this is still a guy that is, he's got youth on his side. He has a lot of talent. Pete Carroll liked him in the pre-draft process years ago coming out of Florida. This would truly be a flyer, a one-year prove-it deal. You're not going to be giving him very much money. And this is a player that should be motivated. I mean, you just had a team in the Falcons that two years after giving you big bucks said, okay, we've had enough. We're kicking you to the curb. And he's not even 30 years old. He should be motivated to show I can still be an impact player rushing off the edge. And so this would be the kind of guy that I would take a flyer on at the right price on a one-year deal, believing that the scheme 
and the players around him are going to give him a chance to bounce back some, and maybe he can return to being a guy that gives you eight, nine, ten-plus sacks. And if the Seahawks can get that in a one-year prove-it deal, then that would be a home run for Clint Hurt and his entire staff being able to bolster that pass rush. So I'm not necessarily advocating for them to make this move because I've always questioned his effort. Fowler's a guy that, that followed him from Florida. He's always been a guy that's that effort's been questionable at times. And then getting a big deal and playing as flat as he did the last two years is concerning. But I also know if there's a guy that can get the best out of him, given those circumstances, Pete Carroll has a pretty good track record of bringing in players that are unmotivated or supposedly unmotivated and getting good production out of them. So that might be a name worth considering. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make sure to check out the Locked On Bets podcast as your second listen. As your second listen, it's your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee Fifty One. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course five days a week streaming on. YouTube. Coming up next Monday, it's the return of our weekly mock draft segment. Rob and I will be checking out some of the mock drafts online and checking out some of the players that are being picked for the Seahawks at pick number 41. Plus, we'll be diving into another roster-related topic on Makeover Monday. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.